Our DT Systems, the Wrap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Wrap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Our baby Gunner Kennels. Man, one of the things that I love about Gunner Kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies. Old Buck, he hangs out in a gunner kennel when he goes to and fro. And in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints. And, and even if your dog's not old like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Slide in the DMs if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course, bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. Baby, me and Kevin have a special guest. This is a repeat offender. He was on in the first season, if you will. I don't know if we've had seasons. We just had a bunch of episodes, but I'm going to give you a clue. Let him get in. Let him get in. He is a 100% class act. 100% bad to the bone guide uh, out of Ocean City, Maryland. Mr. Pit Boss himself, Captain Jeff Coates, is joining us tonight. But first, let's get into, you know, that Yukonuba, baby. The food that fuels the truck of the lone D. New formula, looking good, feeling good. Dogs are doing good. All my buddies are using it at their kennels and have rave reviews. I challenge you three months on Uke's new formula and tell me you don't love it. That's it. Go to Chewy.com, wherever you want to get it, and do three bags. One this month, one next month, and one the following month, and you will be pleased. Check them out. You can do bub. Next up, Gunner Kennels. Kevin gave me a little a little tickle, a little tidbit, if you will. And that tidbit is a gunner kennel has 125 individual pieces. 125, ladies and gentlemen. Each one of those pieces is made in America. They source them either themselves or through small businesses across the country. And I don't know about you, but I dig that. So if you'd like to get you and your dog world's safest dog kennel, you can shoot us a direct message. I'd be happy to get you into one. 
But to be clear, you don't have to put together 125 pieces like you're putting together a. Oh know, yeah, or else I'd be kids' screwed. toys at Christmas time. Yeah, I'd be screwed. Yeah, it'd be terrible. Yeah, but it's really important to support those who support America. All right, next up, Dogtra, baby. We just did a little little video for Dogtra talking about e collars and. It was like a minute long, but the main point of it was it's reinforcing commands that we've already taught our dog and how awesome a tool it is that can really elevate your dog's skill level. And so if you're interested in getting into a dog truck for all the right reasons, consistency, quality, durability, great customer service, all that jazz, you can go on our website, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. And order you up either that 1900S or that old uh, Edge RT, whatever you're feeling, whatever tickles your fancy. Um, speaking of the old LoneDuckOutfitters.com, you know, if you enjoy this podcast, do us a solid, buy you a hat. We've had a bunch of orders come in this week after last week's little little touch, a little selfish plug. And I want to say thank you to all those who, who went on there and showed their support for the, the show and all the entertainment and fun and, and life lessons and training and stuff. So if you enjoy the show, grab you a hat, support it. I'll see you at a hunt test wearing it. We'll high five. It'll be sick. I promise. Um, also, while we're on it, Patreon, Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash Alone Duck Outfitters. And you can join our community. We've got uh, training diagrams, training videos. We're working on a bunch of stuff with Prairie uh, live Q and A's, uh, what do you think? Two times a month. So check it out for $5 a month or up. There's other levels, but for at least five bucks a month, you can get on there. You can be a part of that community. There's more discount codes. There's more, a lot of other great things going on on the old Patreons. So check it out. Uh, next up smoke them. If you got them, baby. Uh, with that being said, brisket is almost done <laughs> we're doing the intro while the brisket is almost done and i cannot wait to sink my teeth into it i'll tell you next week how it t- turns out i mean i'm hoping it's good but uh smoke me if you got them baby welcome to the trigger hood check them out on the old instagrams next up mm, that kent baby shoot or shoot Take it to the plug. Load it up. Knock them down. Folding ducks like laundry with that bismuth. Check them out. Check them out on Instagram. Tell them we sent you. We appreciate it. I want to see their whole deal on Instagram blown up with people just going Check them out. Lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. They keep us in tune with you. You in tune with us. Top 30 Canada. Probably not anymore. Maybe. Maybe we're higher. I don't know. Kevin, check that out for next week. All right, everybody. Into the show. Captain Jeff Coates. Welcome, baby. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, very good evening to you all from uh, just outside Ocean City, Maryland. Who am I? I guess I have to say just I, I say it more often than not i'm just an old guy these days so every, every all all my circles of people like 
anything I do, it seems like I'm always the oldest one in the group these days. But uh, I guess it could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. But it, it is my um, – I'm the full-time two-duck guide right here in Maryland. This past season was my 21st season doing it full-time. And um, Congratulations. Anyway, That's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. The, uh, the old slogan, ducks, dogs, and decoys, that kind of like really – Still, still kind of holds true today. Maybe not the dogs as much back in the day, but ducks, dogs, and decoys still kind of, still kind of, uh, still kind of is what, what I'm about. 365 days a year, and um, you know things have changed over the years a little bit, but at the same time, you know things have stayed exactly the way they were. So, um, you know, I just I'm very fortunate to be able to, you know, to think to be able to uh, to do what I'm able to do, um, you know every day of the year so i'm rambling already but <laughs> you're good dude no so yeah. everybody who maybe is a new listener we've had jeff on the podcast about 60 70 episodes ago and kevin and i hunted with him maybe two years ago it's got to be two years, yeah i'll say i'll say three. Oh, it might be three either yeah, way the, we had a you were in the old boat you were you were in the old thank, thank you we were, were in the old, old boat, boat you're right New boat is two, two years, so you, it was at least three years ago. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. So, a- absolutely excellent time. We shot, we hit the trifecta, the old white wings, black, and surf scoter. And White, uh, white wings are always, a, a good drake is always the hardest for us to get. Really? Yeah. Why is that? I, you know, I, I think they just tend to stay much like common eider. I think they tend to stay a little bit north of us. And like, are they coming to you in their migration and passing through? Are are you an ending zone, and therefore the ones that are just north of you, that's like their ending zone north? Yeah, I would say we're we're probably. I think for uh, of the three scoters, I think we're just kind of for white wings. We're at the southern southern uh, end of the of their wintering grounds, southern range of their wintering grounds. Gotcha, gotcha. I think. What's the allure behind, like? I, I've got it for me, but for you, what's the allure behind a scoter? Well, again, I told you, I already said I'm old. But back, back in the day, like, nobody was doing it. So it was, it was always, for me, it was always something different because people were not doing it. It was a 107-day season. The limits were, the bag limit was more than what it is today. And it, 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 was, it was an underutilized resource that they allowed you, in Atlantic Flyway, you know, the most we can have is a, a 60-day duck season, and um, so they, they made a 107-day sea duck season because it was a, a a resource that was underutilized, they said. So, um, and that now, you know, now today, which I which I agree with them, it, it is being, it is overutilized. But, but back in the day, like, nobody was really doing it. And the people that did do it were in, like, really big, big white work boats, and I was doing it in a, in a, a 17-foot TDB in cool. the beginning. And um, just you know, it was just something different. Nobody used dogs, and I, you know, I was with a dog daily, kind of thing. So it was just, it just, I've always liked to be different, and I, I, in my mind, it just set me apart from everybody else. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I think the part of the allure is is probably your persona on on social media and Instagram is the excitement in your voice when when it's time to shoot, and you know, chops being busted when they miss, and then the excitement when they hit and you know the old like let them get in let them get in let them get here let them get here let them get here yeah that's right and and open up on them and the 
the sound of their wings and picking out drakes and, and you know maybe we hit a real lucky day and I'm going to knock on some wood right now that it's going to be a lucky day next year. Uh, it will be. It will be. Positive thoughts. Positive thoughts. Positive thoughts. Yep. But but you had the opportunity to like see the flock, pick out the drakes. You're talking to the shooters. Okay front two are drakes and and oh yeah and then we started getting good at identifying them ourselves and it was super cool man and i i'm really excited to announce to everybody listening in to the old lone duck gundog chronicles that drum roll please oh we could probably do a drum roll on here can't we you're gonna hit the one that goes like wah, wah. anyways captain jeff Coates is taking myself and my brother in one lucky patreon patron next december we have the date but all of us are like was it that date that date we got it all knocked out but next december we're going to ocean city maryland and we're going to shoot scoters with one lucky patreon so join our patreon forward slash lone duck outfitters for five dollars a month buy us a beer and maybe come and win a chance to go hunt with captain jeff Coates, the pit boss on the Atlantic Ocean. On the Atlantic Ocean, in the world's largest duck boat, Bay Bay. That's what Steve Hoover tells me. He tells me that all the time. That's so cool. Tell everybody. Yeah, uh, I got to hear about this. Yeah, boat, I want to hear about this boat. You got to tell us about this boat. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it it is a it is a duck a, a duck boat. I guess we could say sea duck boat. Uh, there's not an open water duck boat specific. Boat that's thirty-two feet long, and and as far as production duck boats go, I mean it, it is the world's largest duck boat. So he is correct in that sense. Um, but yeah, I man, it's just it's just it's it's been this is my second season in full time, and it's just it's just been a it's been a beauty, a joy, and a beauty to, a thing to operate. And it's just it's, as far as the service that I offer, I still will take just four people, but I can take a fifth or sixth person very easily, and with my very large seats that I have in the boat, and it's just a, it's about what, what I do right from the get-go, it's a service. So we're hunting, but it is a service, and I just try to offer the best service that's out there. I mean, because these, these days, like I, I just said a little bit ago, not that many people shot sea ducks back in the day. You know, everybody and their brother, as I like to say, is shoot sea ducks these days. So, you know, I like to do it maybe – I'm not going to say I like to do it better because that's a little – that comes off maybe the wrong way, but I, I like to do it a little bit nicer than everybody else. How about that? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll second that with the home cook – soup that you provide and the stories and camaraderie and like the decoys like tell everybody a little about you were saying earlier ducks dogs and decoys decoys are a big part of of your year-round preparation for this and so you know gunning over those decoys is super cool yeah thank you thank you yeah just um you know way back in the day that uh, i'm not i'm gonna go off on a tangent so you can reel me back in but um when i brand hunted i always I always brand hunted. If they weren't my birds, they were my friends' birds. So I always, you know, gunned over handmade birds, and then um, you know, slowly and, and surely, I, I worked it into the sea ducks. They're like, "This is foolish. I need to be. I need to be shooting over my own sea ducks." Sea duck decoys do take a beating, so it's kind of a, you know, a, a happy but sad, sad but happy thing kind of thing when when you're gunning over your own stuff, and they they do they do take a beating during the, the even it's just sixty days now, but they do they do take a beating over the sixty days. Um, but I, I just, it just, it just adds another layer uh, of, of, of neatness of my own enjoyment doing this every day. You know, I don't want to make this like it's work. So 
just having my own birds over, even though they're getting shot up, you know, it's something that's that's a part of me, and it's it's a part of the experience um, that that hopefully I'm I'm you know offered to everybody that that jumps aboard with us. So yeah, well, I also think you know you you'll put up some of the decoys that you've carved to to sell, and then you're passing yep. that piece of waterfowl history, if you will. I know it's kind of weird to maybe say that now, but 40 years from now, someone's going to hold a decoy that you carved with some pellets in it that was shot in Ocean City, Maryland, da-da-da-da-da, and it's like a piece of waterfowl history, man. It's super neat. It's yeah, not plastic. I don't wanna, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to sound like, you know, conceited or weird when I say this, but, you know, um, in 40 years, I, I, I want to be here, but I'm probably more than likely I won't be here 40 years from now. And um, I, I had somebody tell me that today. We're texting back and forth, and they're like, "Man, I, I just I want a piece of like the future of waterfowl history." Is the way you put it. So when you said that, it's it, it's a text message I got this afternoon. So I mean, it, I feel very it's very humbling for somebody to say that to me. But that was that was his take, and that's that's why he wanted a decoy from me because he's like, "I want a, I want a piece of you know the waterfowl future history." If that if that if that yeah. sounds correct, absolutely, it's one hundred percent correct. 100%. So how do you go about making your decoys? Because you've had, they've got to have evolved since you started, you know, size-wise, coloration, flotation. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just, it's, I think, especially on the ocean, bigger is better. So that my decoys have, have migrated to becoming bigger, bigger pieces. Um, and, and the materials that I use, you know, again, they do get shot up. So I, I'm very concerned about, how much water they they may they may absorb during the season. So I've kind of went to materials that the, the last round that I made, Karen will tell you that I didn't carve these. You know, they she she called them crafty because they like she's like yeah you you didn't really carve these things because I made them out of these the biggest um, foam uh, lobster 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 buoy that I could find, and uh, they have a silhouette head on, they have a bottom board on them, and, and they're nice and big and they look good, but she she deemed them crafty and not like not. Not a, I did not that they're not a decoy, but I didn't carve them. So um, this past oh season, I, I they, they floated very well, and I, I got to tell you, like day in and day out, just physically on me, you know. Um, so to rewind just a tad, the end of last year, um, when the, the what I called the Scoterzilla, which were six to eight inch thick cork, tan like uh, tan high density cork. Um, that I hollowed out and put bottom boards on them, um, and, and they had cedar heads, and they, you know, they painted up nice. But when they got when they got shot, that cork absorbed the water, right. and so by the by the end of the year, like some of, one bird was weighing like fifteen pounds, and like that's you know pulling those in every day. And again, I'm, I'm I am getting older. I'm not getting younger. Like I was just like, wow, these these are like really a these are kind of becoming a pain in the ass kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. especially um, you know like let's say I'm going to switch out the boat. You know, we're gonna we shot sea ducks today. We're gonna shoot brand tomorrow. You know, Karen would help me. I had I had six uh, in the Dakota decoy uh, goose bags. I had six of these these foam or uh, some excuse me the Scoterzilla. How big they are? They fit in, in a goose floater bag. She she you know at work she's like handling eighty pound labs. You know, handle you know moving around, picking them up, moving that kind of thing. And she's like Jeff, these things are heavier than than the dogs at work kind of thing. We we weighed some of the birds at the end of the year, and they were like 15, 16 pounds a piece. So. You know the the new foamzillas that are not quite as big, but you know six or seven of them is fifteen pounds, not not one of them. So it's just a little easier on them. That makes sense. How do you run your rigs? 
Are are they so like my, drop my, drop line? Yeah, so my open water stuff I've always long line, which which is basically just having having one main line that each each bird has a is has a clip and has a dropper on each bird that you know is clipped to that line. So uh, whether it's whether it's six of them or twelve of them, basically my stuff's rigged and ready to go right out of the bag. I use the zipper top bag, and um, generally, typically, the stuff comes out of the bags nice and clean each morning, mm-hmm. and it goes back in very very simply. So I'm not I don't if you're aboard with me, I don't need your help. That's right. I can I got, I got it covered. I got it handled. And I can get it done. Yeah, you maneuver the boat and the decoys. Well, like you've done it for the last 21 years, 60 days right. a yeah. year, and up to 107 days. Yeah, you were yep. a well-oiled machine at it, and it made us feel super safe because you're out on the ocean, right? Like, I could understand that someone would be a little tentative. To... Yeah, especially, especially early in the morning, go out in the dark, yeah. Yeah. You're going out in the yeah. But the, I mean, you just, it was smooth. It was super, and I think we also got a little lucky, I'm going to knock on wood again, that we had relatively calm seas. It was not super choppy. Nobody got seasick. Um Maybe that ooh that would be a good one. Worst seasickness experience in twenty one years. The worst. I I I don't want to be smart, but like when somebody gets sick, they're sick. Like it doesn't. I don't. I don't know. That there's degrees of sickness. Really. Yeah. I mean, it just. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's very rare that somebody throws up and they go, "Oh, I feel better," and they're good to go. Usually, it, it progresses and gets worse where they're just. Like they sit there, if you know, if they don't, if nobody wants to go back in, they sit there for three hours and just you know, throw mm. open to a five gallon bucket. And it just, it doesn't really, you know, um, I, I, again, like degrees of sickness to me, it's, it's like what I've seen is when somebody's sick, there's, there's not that much difference between, you know, three weeks ago, two weeks ago and yesterday. Really? It's just all even it, across the line. Like yep. they're down and out. Yep. Pretty much. I mean, I've had maybe, maybe this year. Uh, just because it's, it's close to my mind, I did have a guy like basically lay lay in the bottom of the boat and kind of sleep most of the hunt. That's so. <laughs> I guess if you want to say if you want to say, you know, what was the worst? I mean, you know, he's sick, but he did he just laid down in the bottom of the boat and, and went to sleep. And I, I don't I don't really recall that before. So me and Kevin hunted with our buddy Nick Hippolito, and he'll enjoy this story. He man made sickness himself the night before, and I, I had to. I, I, I agree with what you're saying there for sure. Oh yeah, he overdid it, and oh, oh I'm sorry, not I didn't mean that way. I, I not to interrupt your story, but I, I've had people like the night before say, "Well, like, why well, get seasick?" Like, then they talk like to me, they talk uh, themselves into getting that's seasick. That's right. Not 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 necessarily self induced like the way you're going to say, but like <laughs> self induced like they already they were like they knew they were going to get sick the night before. I do think people talk themselves into being seasick, yeah. and if you can, yeah. I've helped people get out of it where they're like haven't thrown up yet and you get their mind off of it like Jedi mind trick you just that you start talking about something they care about then their minds off of not feeling bad and then all of a sudden you're like hey by the way how do you feel and they're like huh not so bad anymore um so I do think people can talk themselves into and psych themselves up into being automatically queasy but anyways old Nikki yeah. Nikki Hippolito he couldn't handle it and it wasn't we were on a lake like calm still Lake. It was a beautiful day. We had a great time. A little bit of a we mist. We had a great time. Yeah. Shot. Yeah, it was misty. We had a great no, time. It was just beautiful out. He slept on the boat floor and, and heaved a few times off of the boat, and then we took him in, and he slept in the truck the rest of the hunt. But wow. a little bit different than what you're saying. No, but it's like a 
Lake sickness. I loved it. Lake monster. We we made a lot of fun of, or made fun of him a lot, so that was good. <laughs> now I hear that too, man. Like you know, there's like there's no uh, no no compassion for the the I don't want to say ill willed, but for the for the seasickness doesn't seem to be much compassion out there. Yeah, no, no, no. So another part of the old Ocean City experience is that we're going to uh, provide our Patreon winner is some of the seafood. And you're a man who likes to eat, and you're a man who likes to cook. So what what kind of things could this person be ready for to try on their trip? Well, hopefully they do like seafood because I do have people occasionally that are not not into quote sell, uh, sh- shellfish and and just you know seafood in general. But I mean, you're you're coming to you're coming to the Atlantic Ocean, so I mean, there's it's whatever. I won't say whatever your fancy is, but like for instance, the uh, if we go to Crabs to Go, they pretty much have any. I'm thinking real quick, just so I don't want to say you can you can never say always and never and that type of stuff. But I mean, they pretty much have any seafood available um that that's that's out there but it's it's you know it's 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 the ocean so whatever somebody likes from from lobster um crabs go has has king crabs they have uh, everybody has snow crabs you know oyster oysters are very uh, so blue, in, in maryland blue blue claw crabs as well as oyster and clams um and then there's quite a few other fishes but but you know oyster i think maryland crabs and oyster i think is what maryland and chesapeake bay would would be known for do you guys use Old Bay seasoning, or do you have something else you like to sprinkle on? Well, I'm going to mention crabs to go again. They they have they have a, a seasoning that we Karen and I like. It's it's got a little bit more salt in it, maybe, and it's a little coarser. Uh, the, the Old Bay is a very kind of a fine, fine um, as far as its texture, very sp- a fine seasoning. Um, and we've kind of graduated to because again because we go to crabs to go quite a bit. Um, it's it's we like crabs to go seafood season for sure heck yeah all right we'll have to try it yeah it's just it's just got a little bit more salt in it. so that's that's that, that, that's probably the, the biggest difference is is the, the it, it's coarser and it, and it has a little more salt in it. i think there was a rugby girl in college her her rugby name was crabs to go i mean you know, it's a friend <laughs> of yours i have nothing to say about it. <laughs> no gosh glory days i've been talking to a lot of my old rugby buddies lately i uh we moved into a new house like now, five months ago, and I finally right. am putting things away. Well, thank you, but I'm finally putting things away, and I'm finding old, just stuff, pictures and stuff. So I'm taking pictures of my memorabilia, if you will, and send it to my buddies. And so, just glory day conversations have sparked a lot of fun, fun conversations, I guess. But, but anyways, now uh, another part that if they haven't listened to our previous episode with you i would encourage them to so we don't have to go through all the old dogs that you've had because they're the memories are awesome and the stories you told in the last time were awesome but you got a new dog that you will we can you had you had you had me teary-eyed last time i know i know that's why we can we can talk about the new one i was talking about rex bell (laughs) you're right dude yeah man hey rest in peace too that sucked Hundred percent. Yep, that sucked. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to do a uh, Johnny Walker mm, black or green. I can't remember, but I will. But I will do a crown. Crown black. All right. Thinking of Rex. We are. Yep. Thinking of Rex. Thinking of Rex. We are. I'll drink my bush light to him, buddy. Yeah. It was John, Johnny Walker. 
It was Johnny Walker Black. But anyway. With the, the, the brother? The wear out there brother or him drinking Johnny Walker? No, him drinking Johnny Walker. In yeah. his underwear. Sitting uh, around sitting around at the end right. of dog training. Dang. And we're like we're all still clothed and he's sitting there in his literally in his in his underwear mm-hmm. drinking. So Yeah. It was the brown anyway. liquor. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but anyways, you got a new dog now and she's gotta be what? Well maybe three, right? Uh, no, she's uh, two, been a, uh, just a little over two years old. All right, tell us about Rye. Rye's doing well. Um, I, I, you know, I, I shot some sea ducks early with her in, in the season, and we again in the ocean way back in the day. Uh, Diamond and Coot and Diamond were were retired. Diamond was gone, but Coot was still with us. And uh, a uh, uh, the first litter I bred Coot, uh, the Booker dog was in the water, and there was the bank boat's twenty five feet long, and the tiger shark was. You know, half the length of the boat each. God. So it kind of it kind of cured me of wanting to take a dog. So I stopped taking dogs. So I have I have not I have mixed emotions. I've not taken her in the ocean. But the Brant hunts we've uh, I do Brant Brant are in very shallow water, and I have taken her into uh, you know doing the Brant hunts. She's coming on really nice. I wanted Karen to run her in the spring. You know, thanks to COVID, we did not do it. But you know, I wanted Karen to run her some AKC uh, hunt tests. Sure. And I, I, that's still on the list to do. Um, but one, one thing since we talked, wait, you know, 60, what did you say? 60 episodes ago. Yeah. I, I have, I really have, I guess things are, I guess as I get older, I, I understand that things are all relative and, and what I, what I wanted and what I thought when we got rye, the reality is, is it's, 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 I'm in a, I'm in a different place in my life than, you know, 20, 10, 15 years ago. And and although, you know, I do train her and I do want her, you know, I, I do, you know, I love her to death. Like where I'm at is just not where I, you know, where I was with the other dogs. So I, I guess not that I don't put the same amount of effort in, but I have other, my life is different now than what it was back in the day. Well, I mean, I would maybe explain that a little more. Like back in the day, you had master hunters and qualified all age. You had to train all the time to achieve that kind of... Yeah, you have yeah. to achieve that yeah. success. You got to grind. And what I'm getting at or from you is that you love training her, but it's not you know every single day. Exactly. But when I bought her, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, master hunter qualified always. That's that's what that's that's the goal kind of thing. And I'm, I'm not saying you know when she's six, seven, or eight that maybe you know that that I won't run her in a master hunter and and try to get her title. But just like I you know I brought up Rex Bell. Like right now, my season's over. I would I would have been headed to South Carolina for six weeks, right. and, that, and that's that's not my life these days. You know, that's not that's not what I who I am and what I'm doing. So, I, I have, although I thought, you know, I guess it's that kind of thing. How like what you, how you think things are going to be, and then the reality of how things really are. You know, not not again, not that I don't want a trainer. That and um, I'm going to go off on another little tangent. One thing that really really brought this um, really hammered it home to me. Um, in late late July, early August, I went out to Red Wing, Minnesota, and I judged. Uh, I got to judge the SRS. Oh, that's right. Man, I, I watched some really awesome animals, and I'm like, although it, it did help me motivate me, I'm like, man, like it, it kind of was like a little smack in the face of like, yeah, this is this rise. This is not rise. Not to be doing this anytime <laughs> soon, kind of thing. Just just because you know, I, I'm in a different place in time. Yeah, well, I can tell you, I entered an SRS. And got smacked in the face <laughs> t- 
too. <laughs> I yeah. mean, those things are a different animal, right? Yep. Like, you, tell us about the test that you judged because that would be we we never really connected on it. And and I saw your posts on Instagram and followed you along, and it looked like a a ton of fun. But tell everybody what it was like to to actually judge one and what you set up and what those amazing dogs did. Yeah, so I mean, it, it was it was a super experience, and I, Alex Ron, I I thank him very much for having me come out there to do that. You know, it was on his grounds, uh, Wildflower, yeah, Wildflower Bottoms, um, yeah, and, and it was you know, summertime, like he, you know, early August, Maryland as humid as can be. Went out there, and it was like seventy four degrees, and like blue skies, and no humidity, and I was like, wow, this is this is really nice. But yeah, uh, really really nice grounds, and like just super high level animals. They have amateurs and and pros train. You know, they they run them together. Although they're they're scored and um, ranked separately as far as amateur professional goes, but they all do run the same test. And um, yeah, it's just it's it's a it's a hybrid. It truly is a game. So anybody that trains and runs whatever the sanctioned bodies they run, the, the SRS is just kind of like I guess I would describe it as like it's a, a hybrid of of everything. So. You know, it's the kind of thing where, like, back in the day, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't handle a dog because I don't want to handle the dog. You know, I want them to find it because I don't want them to re- rely on me. But but the way the SRS games played, you know, to win, you know, it becomes – the handler becomes much more uh, a part of the game. You know, the dog's out there doing the work, but at the same time, the handler has the, the option to, to, to direct the dog how they want to do it and how, they, how the handler wants to play the game. And in, in, when I say game, I've said it many times. It really is a game, and um, you know it, it's. All, although again, like in a normal field trial, you know, marking is is judged very highly. Uh, if you blow a quick whistle on the SRS and you handle the dog to the to the bird, um, as far as how the points are accumulated and counted, you, you might be you would be uh, ahead of a dog that the handler let the dog hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt because they didn't want to blow the. So right. it's just it's a hybrid it's a hybrid game, and um, you know there's 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 field trial type scenarios, there's hunt test type scenarios, um, there's there's a series that you you have you make the handler has to shoot a gun, a popper gun, and, and they have to make sure they shoot five or six times, whatever you know, whatever however the test is set up. Did so you guys do anything uh, from a judging point of view? Did you set anything up that was super super? hunt savvy uh and i'll give you an example i went to one in arkansas and sold some gear at it and did whatever there i didn't run it but they threw like a monster four marks and then the fifth mark was an atb attached to a fishing pole and in front of the dog's face they reeled it in like a crippled swimming away and you had to know the dog off of that and then pick up your four marks Anything kind of crazy, cool, weird? That yeah. So yes, yep. So it was a uh, the dog was you had to run run from a stand, um, and and you know the dog could get off the stand, but he had to run. You know the dog had had to be sent from the stand. But um, it was it was in the gun that was that was the popper gun that you had to even in between these. We gave them time to reload. You know, reload the three shells where they sh- they had to shoot six times, and and the last mark basically there was a big hill to the left, and basically this. You know, they, dogs didn't see it. All of a sudden, there's like a, you know, an ATB, like, kind of, like, is thrown in front of their face and lands basically very, you know, five yards from them kind of thing. Nice. And, uh, and, and again, like, the dogs in that series, like, no dog is broke. 
but I, I think it was more of like maybe that it was more of a distraction, you know, to, to what the four marks they just saw, the, the bird that, you know, the fifth mark that fell right in front of them, which was a gimme. And, and again, not, nobody broke, but I think it maybe kind of, you know, mess, a little bit messed with their minds. Of, a little of, you know, like a wipeout of their memory. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's cool. That's cool. What a good experience. What but a good experience. Again, it, thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed doing it. But again, like it did really kind of, you know, the reality of like, wow, you know, rise and like, you know, she's, she's, she's almost say she's light years away, but you know, she's, she's far from, far from anything like this. So, but I think, I mean, when's the last time you've been to an AKC master test? Oh man. Did I actually ran a dog? Probably. Uh, what is 2021, 2005. But I would be willing to bet you that that hasn't changed as much. Yeah, I would agree. With, I would think I would agree with you that. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think, yes. <laughs> you know, you're still going to see high-caliber dogs. I think our expectations for dogs is is a little higher um, from what I hear. I mean, I wasn't running in 2005, but but I think if you went to a test, you'd be like, no, this seems more doable. I think anybody who goes to an SRS and, and is like, oh, yeah, no big deal, you can all pound it because you're you're lying to yourself. Those things are set up to you know, eliminate the average and only yep. let the cream rise to the top. Um, but an AKC master test is still a, an extremely co- accomplished animal and handler, but it, it's still, I think you would go to and be like, do this is doable. This is doable. Yeah. I'm, I, yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. So I, I think the difference is that like, let's say again, I'm, I'm more familiar with AKC than anything else, but there's a standard and there's a rule book. And there's a standard. Well, SRS, there isn't a, like, we can go and do basically anything, you know, as, as two judges, we can basically do anything we want to do. Right. And it, it was told to us that the handlers did appreciate the harder, tougher, more challenging tests and, and setups because if their dog did it, guess what? They were like head above everybody else. So, they, I was again. I was told this, and I, I didn't go talk to the handlers, but I, I was told that the, like the more challenging that we made it, and and the tougher that we made it, the more that the the handlers appreciated. Yeah, and so I'll kind of add to that. What he, what he's talking about is is separation between dogs. So exactly. So like for instance, me and Jeff are running it and competing against it, and if it's, I wouldn't say easy, but if it's more cut and dry and doable then maybe him and me are sitting in first and second but there's really and he's 10 points ahead of me if the next series is basically the same more cut and dry then he's going to stay relatively 10 points ahead of me when you have one that's a real butt kicker that could be my chance to leapfrog him and get 30 points on him and be in the lead by 30 points in one series yep and and or if it's not two dogs how about if it's 10 dogs or like you know, neck and neck, right? That's so right. It, it, yeah. So that's that's what I was told, and because I, I did go there, like a little worried, like I don't want to, like I'm, I don't want to, like make stuff that's just crazy. But after we did the first series, they're like, "Hey, man, like, like the more challenging you make this, the more everybody behind you watching appreciates it because they're, it, again, it's separation between their dog and everybody else. If if their dog does, you know. that's right. Yeah, mine didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Mine didn't. She's an exceptional dog. She looked like she was a junior hunter and a master test, bud. It was light years different than what we 
and we trained for it. We did. And she still won Mark. Everything else she did well, not the best, but, but well to not be embarrassing, and won Mark. We racked up so many points. There was no coming back. And uh, so it was, it was super fun, and it was super humbling. Um, so as far as Rye goes, what is her personality like? You know, how many Brant have you guys hunted together? How has her season developed? What have you noticed from the beginning of the season to the end of the season with her? Like, tell us about that journey. I, I said it. I, I actually think Karen didn't go to the beach with us this morning, and I sent Karen a video saying – I say it all the time, but I, I just re- reiterated Karen to make sure, you know, she understood – so Karen, uh, Karen, that's, she'll smack my face. Um, <laughs> Rye is the, the uh, six. She's the seventh lab. She's the sixth black lab that I've had, and she's the. And again, like it's that kind of. I don't want to be like re- revisionist history, where like you know you only remember what's current, you don't remember back in the day. But Rye is the only dog I think I've ever had. She runs for the pure joy of running. Take her to the beach, and she runs. She sprints. As fast as she can, 300 yards up the beach, she turns around and she run. She sees a bird. She'll run back down the beach, and she, she just she just likes to run. And like I, I all, all my other guys had energy. They retrieved. I, I just don't know. I had a dog. I've had dogs that like like to get in a pool or a pond and just like swim like coot swam like a figure eight. She would just get in. She loved to swim. Like Rye just loves to run. Like just 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 to go run. Like okay, hey, I'm out of the truck, and she goes and runs. So. How has she developed, um, you know, the, the lack of, with the other dogs that I took them daily, I do know that the, the, the lack of the repetition experience of, of, you know, gunning every day, taking her every day, I know that, that I know that that's a, a, de- a detriment to her. But, yeah, she's, she's matured. She's muscled out really nice. And, um, yeah, the more that we do it, like, she's definitely, when we go, like I say, here they come, like, she gets, you know, she perks up and she's, like, like looking to see, you know, she's, she likes to mark stuff. She likes to watch things. And, um you know, I, in, in that sense, she's she's on par with all the other dogs I've had. But again, the big difference is I don't know if I've had, ever had a dog that just liked to flat out run. She just runs to run. Yeah. And uh, it just it's kind of I like we laugh about it because she just she truly likes to run. And um, I mean, it's almost like you can't wear her out. And she'll, you know, I'm I guess like you know a lot of labs, you know, they they just go till they can't go anymore. I mean, she just. We'll get her. We'll get her to when she, when especially when it's warmer, and she she does this little yipe. She's panting really, panting really hard and heavy, and she'll just little, you know, she yips or yipes a little bit, and then then that's the time you know I have the truck on. She mm-hmm. rides the front with me, and cool. you know have the air conditioner running and get her back in the truck so she can cool back down. But in the winter, like she, you know, it's hard to make her yipe because she's definitely a war a warm nature dog. Where she, you know the heat is not her friend. Um, but uh, you know, wintertime, man, like she just she just goes and goes and goes. So Sunday, Sunday, we took her to the middle school, and, and her and the the Duke dog, you know, ran and ran and ran. And and um, I, I, I will say this, Mike, it's not probably you know, I, I can I can probably hear some dog people cringe. I, I have a I have a thrower, and I throw I'll, I'll throw two tennis balls almost like back to back to back just to just to wear her out because she just runs to run to run. Yeah. And you know, I will make her sit and, and you know and be steady. But at the same time, basically, when we when we go to these fields, it's just about getting her wore out. We're we're not. I want to I want to circle back to this, but where where we live is a. It's basically the house is pretty much on our on our our lot or our property. We do not have a big yard, and and Rye is a dog that if she does not run, she's she is not like she's not a good house dog. And 
in that sense that where she is just, she bounces off the walls kind of thing. So when you go and run her like that, where again, we're like, she's got a tennis ball, she comes back, I've, already got, I've got another one ready and I throw it instantly. You know, she just, and, and just to wear her out. Um, I'm tangent, get back to the hunt. And, and I don't want to jinx myself because we do have a signed contract, but we just have, we haven't settled on it yet, but we, in my mind, we've purchased it. 3.3 acres, and we're going to put up a 4,800-foot square building, and that's going to be the Pitboss World Headquarters. Heck, so yeah. It, it should be late late June, early July. It should be pretty much completed. Uh, inside will not be 100% completed, but it's definitely going to be a place where the world's largest duck boat can sit inside uh, You know, every day, every night, all year long. We keep the sun off of it and keep the, you know, if it snows, keep the frost, all that kind of stuff off of it each morning. So things will be able to dry out overnight. And um, it's a place where I'm going to be able to carve, as well as pretty much the 3.3 acres are going to be fenced. So Rye is going to be able to run as much as she wants to run. So that's that's kind of the tie into that. That's where she, cool. you know, she, does, she does like to run, and then that's, um, again, it's, 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 in my mind, it's going to happen. Do we have the deed entitled? No. But you know the signed contract, we, we got we got the check ready to, to pay them, and cool. we're going to kick this thing off, and, and um, you know it's going to happen. Hopefully, it'll happen here pretty quick as far as the months go: February, April, May, June, and, and by you know into July, August. You know, I'm sorry, into June and July, the uh, the building will be up, it'll be complete, and we'll be able to get in there and start you know start really doing something. I'll be able to start start to carve much much more than what I'm carving these days, and and again, it'll be. I don't, I don't know it'll be a place to meet in the morning, but definitely uh, after the hunt, it'll be a place if somebody wants to come back on my multiple-day hunts, you know, come back, they can clean their guns, dry their, it'll be area to dry their clothes off, out if it rains, you know, clean birds, you know, be able to, you know, freeze birds for them, and um, just kind of a place to hang out. We're, we're going to have, a, have, Karen says no, but I said that the Pit Boss Bar will be there as well as. <laughs> As, as well as uh, you know, there's going to be there's going to be a camp chef girl that's going to be there rolling. So you know, it'll it'll just be it'll be a it, I, I much much like I said the the the, the Duckwater boat Ocean Thirty Two is the future. Well, this, this the property and the building and and the vision that I have that that'll be the future for us. So I'm really looking forward to that. But but that'll be done. It'll be done to some degree by next December. So very cool. Well, we might have to make it to the HQ. The Pit Boss HQ next December, and uh, we'll put an eyeball on it and have a cocktail. Well, if, at the very least, the night before. That's right. That sounds good. Um, so I guess what I – we talked about it before, and we started to actually get into it, and we, we held off. But you had mentioned you, your grill, and yeah. I cooked my very first brisket tonight. And I cooked it for 12 hours. I got up. I uh, aired the dogs. And while I was airing the dogs, I had this sucker marinating in a, a rub for 48 hours. And I, I, I mean, I put some effort in. And I smoked it for 12, and actually it was like 12 and a half hours. And I'm, this is going to be the first thing that I'm not pumped about. And I don't know if it's the cut of meat, the cow, the bob, the what. You know, it's most likely me. But I, I was bummed. I, I wanted it to be delectable and, and melt in your mouth. And I, I struggled with it. So everybody who ate it was like, oh, yeah, it's good. It's good, Bob. Yeah, it's good. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm eating it. So I know what it actually tastes like. So you can't fool me. 
So, you know, you're kind of a grill master. Talk to me about that. Well, as I started to say before, the brisket is not our favorite cut of meat. It's just not. Do we like beef? Yes, we do. We had New York strips tonight. So we, we do like beef. But the brisket, I, I've, I've tried twice. I've tried. And somebody, and if anybody can tell me a, a tip or a trick, I am very open for somebody to say so. But I've, I've done two, two full briskets, and I did a, a, a sectional brisket. Now, the, 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 the shortcut, I did have a friend tell me, he's like, hey, man, the you know, shortcuts never really turn out good. you got to do a big one. Like, yeah, well, we've done that before, and, like, we weren't really happy with those either. So I, I really don't – I have no tips for you except to say that I, I agree with whatever you're – whatever you experienced. Like, we've, we've kind of – we love doing pork. We love doing pork butts. We love doing pork ribs uh, and lots of other other meats. But the brisket is, is the probably the bottom of the list of things that we would choose to do. Yeah, it was we – just, we, we just haven't had good success. Yeah, I don't know. And I, so now I'll commend anybody who can make a good one. I mean, the flavor was there. Everything was there. It just was kind of tough. And I don't know. I, I, I've cooked some things on on our, our Traeger that I'm shocked that I've made it. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, damn, I did a really good job. I'm going to pat myself on the back. Like, normally I screw this stuff up. And, you know, you're shocked at, you know, you follow the directions. You put the, you know, do this, do that, bango, bango, and wait. And check it, and wait, and check it, and all of a sudden you eat it, and you're you're amazed at what you've concocted. This I had high hopes. Um, tell me about. So you said I'm a big pork butt guy now as well because I have kind of found my rhythm with that. What do you do on on a pork butt? We've got a couple different rubs that we like, but generally I try to start them early in the morning just because of Karen's time with work, unless it's a weekend. But even on a weekend, I, I still start them early. But you know the, the whole the old thing of low and slow. I definitely do start them out, you know, low and slow till we get 165 degrees internal. Um, you generally, I, I like to do a 10 pound or so. Um, side note to all this, because it's just two of us, we, we do pull it. But we freeze a lot of it. We think we think after it's frozen, the, the leftover meat we think tastes better probably than than the initial meat. I don't know if it's just because it's it's, it's fat. Maybe it's just psychological, but we do think that you know the leftovers are better than the than the uh, the, the initial the initial pull that we do. Um, but now, man, it's one sixty five. Wrap that thing up and just you know get get the two hundred five, pull it off, and let it rest for a good hour, if not two hours. Put it in the cooler, and it, man, the bone just pulls. Generally, typically, the bone pulls out one hundred percent clean, and just you know just just pull that thing apart and just enjoy it. You know, and that's. You know, I, I think if, if there was going to be one thing that we would do on a grill date, you know, on a smoker grill, it's going to be the pork butt is what we like. We love doing ribs too, but the pork butt, just because, again, like we, because we, it, it's, it's nine, 10 pounds, it's only two of us. So we do, we zip lock it and freeze it and yep. we'll fall that out and microwave it. And damn it, that's, it almost, we think it does taste better than the initial. Oh, I 100% you know, either, agree. 100% agree. Time. And, and not off on a tangent on foods. We kind of feel that way with like spaghetti sauces, chilies, anything that you that can actually, you know, after you get everything together, it's all put together, it's cooked, and it just can sit and kind of all the flavors can kind of, uh, I don't know what the culinary word is, but just can mix <laughs> and, and, just, and just blend together. I agree. I think, I right, mean, it's so good. Red yeah, yeah, exactly. 
It's like, I mean, in my brain, I'm thinking marinades longer or it just soaks in even longer or I don't know, but I like pulled pork cold the next day, like a cold yep. sandwich. Mm, get some. Yeah, I love it. Plus, I'm too lazy to warm it up, so I, I'm hungry. I'm eating now. <laughs> I'm eating now. Well, we, and we, we do it instead of doing the rolls and stuff, and we're, we're really big uh, big into wraps. So back to the SRS, when I came back from the SRS, not that I'm small right this minute. I took a deep, you know, big exhale there when I said it. But anyway, I definitely was I definitely was a big boy then. And I'm, I'm down since right after the SRS, I'm down 46 pounds. Congratulations. And, um, thank you, thank you. But I mean, I, I still eat a lot of food, but I just don't, I don't, I don't try not to do carbs and sugar. So, you know, we're, we're not doing it on big Kaiser rolls, which I would love to have one. We don't do it on the big Kaiser rolls. We're doing everything on like low carb wraps. So we, we, any of these meats that we do, if I, if I do burgers, we did pork burgers the other night, you know, instead of eating them on a roll, I do them in a wrap. Interesting. I did the, uh, tonight the, uh, Karen did do the, she had some thick New York strips and some thin ones. She, you know, she just had a straight uh, steak straight up. The thin ones I chopped up, and I did it. You know, I had peppers and everything I did inside the house, and I did them fajita, fajita style. And I, I did them on these wraps. So I'm really, I'm really big into, really big into eating the wraps. That's cool. Now, one thing we talked about. I just thought of this, and I, I don't know why I thought about it, but when you said fajita, it brought international into my head. Like ah, Mexican, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But last time we talked, you went on some cool hunts, and you were like, I, I want to say you were traveling to Texas. <clears throat> well, 60 episodes ago, that was at least two years ago. Though. Yeah, I was going to say. So now that means, have you traveled anywhere badass that you'd like to share with us? Well, that would have been that would have been a September teal hunt that the, follow, the following September I did not go, but this past September I did go to. Um it's got to be, it was opening day. So Texas, the, it's a nine day season. They break it up. It's three day segments and they do it in three weekends. And the, the Friday that we were there happened to be the uh, Thursday or Friday. I can't remember. Anyway, it was the very first opening day. We, because of uh, Google maps and how we were trying to get to the place and, you know, it would tell us to go straight and the road was gated and we had to turn, had to turn, had to turn. We, we got, the guy had everything set up. He got us to the blind after legal shooting time. And I thought, man, there's birds. He were sitting in the decoys as we rolled up. There was eight of us. And in 45 minutes, we were done. It was the craziest, definitely the craziest teal hunt, as well as the best puddle duck hunt I've ever been on. It was just, it was just on. And, and the added, the added little uh, tweaks to this thing is it wasn't hot and the mosquitoes weren't bad. Like, like the, 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 trip prior to it so that that was a real that was a really good hunt um this year we did not get to pei because of the borders but the uh the year that we picked rye up that was yeah no so the second so we picked two uh three i guess we yeah three three uh octobers ago is when we picked rye up and then um the second year so in between when we we i haven't been on with you we did we went back up to pei and just had a really great experience there again you know geese and and um, you know, and ducks and, and rye and the, the cottages and the food and the drinking and it happened to be uh, uh, the Canada Thanksgiving when, when we were there, so that that was that was a, a neat little twist. Um, but now I really haven't I haven't traveled much. You know, the, the Texas Texas trip, PEI Texas has really been the only trips that I've traveled since we saw. We were supposed to go to we would have just been getting home a couple of days ago 
uh, from St. Paul Island. But again, because of uh, every the state of everything, you know, St. Paul Island is still closed. We, Karen and I did not get there this year for that. What, what's St. Paul's Island? I don't know anything about that. Not... Okay, it's in the middle of the Bering Sea, and oh, it is like it. It is kind of the guaranteed. So, so if anybody watch ever watched the Deadliest Catch? It's the island, not 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 um not not Cold Bay. Um, anyway, it is in it is in the middle of the Bering Sea. St. George and St. Paul Islands are out in the middle of Bering Sea, and it's one of the places where they. Uh, in January, they offload the appeal crab, the snow crab, and it's the place to go to shoot king eider. I was there ten years ago, and um, I was going to go back and revisit it, and it, it it just didn't happen. But it's it's a island X, some people call it, and it, it is just a it's, it's a true adventure. It's it's a it's an island that does not have a tree on it. Um, it. It was the only place I've ever been where it was blowing, snowing, and the sun was out at the same time. So. How cold is it there at that point, and what do you and your guns, and what is that like to hunt like that? Well, you know, the water's still open, so it takes takes salt water 28 degrees to freeze, so the water is at least, you know, at least 28, if not a, a degree or two warmer than that. When we were there, it wasn't that it was so cold, it was just that the winds were so strong. So, you know, it's like, it's, 20, it's 28, 29, 30 degrees, but... Like it's blowing fifty miles an hour, so it feels like it's zero. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of metal freezes. There's a lot of spray. Uh, there's a lot of sand. You know, again, the wind is blowing really, really strong. So, you know, um, your your over and under, your your single shot type guns or guns that don't have any action are, are you know, a, a tad bit better than guns that do have action. Um, but, but again, not I'm I'm not saying it's not cold, but it, to me, it was more windy. And when I say it wasn't cold, you know, I walk around in flip-flops and shorts. When I got off the plane at St. Paul Island, I did have Crocs on, but I was in shorts. So, you know, <laughs> cold you know, cold is maybe a relative term, you know, when somebody says it's hot or it's cold. But I definitely can tell you it was windy for sure. Gotcha. So you were going to go back to – were you going to hunt again? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Go to shoot uh, – a non-resident can shoot four King Eider, and non-resident can shoot four Harlequin. So it's a kind of a Harlequin King Eider and do you, do you have a guide up there that you would suggest that if someone wanted to take a, a I mean, that's trophy hunting and you know like for most people probably a once in a lifetime deal right? Yeah, for sure. Jer- Jeremy Alman who is who we were going to go with, and um, you know Karen, you know she, Karen loves to travel, so it was going to be a, a cool trip for her. I, I don't know, you know, she probably I don't know. We wanted to, to go and try to film it too, so. Her, her role in this was it was going to be a vacation as well as you know she was going to she was going to be behind the camera kind of thing to try to get you know try to get footage for us. That's super <laughs> cool. Excuse me, um, but yeah, it was just it was it was going to be a, a cool trip and again it's a trip I've done before so I kind of know what to expect. But at the same time, and it was ten years ago, so things you know things always change. Um, but I, I, I am I am disappointed we didn't get there. So in the future next not this february about the in a couple days but next year february i think i want to try to do uh um san Catine, mexico baja i want to go shoot black grant Ooh! so i think that might be that might be the next hopefully we get the pei in october but as far as really traveling maybe maybe back to texas in, in september hopefully uh, october pei will drive there with the dogs and then um you know in february try to get back down or not not to get back down because i've not been there but uh, get down to San Quentin, uh, Baja, Mexico. What's that like? I, I don't even know what a 
I mean, I, I guess I could picture what a black brant is. It's probably black and it's a brant, but <laughs> sorry to be a dumb question. But, but what is that allure to go all the way across the country and then into someone else's country to go do that? What, what would you be expecting? And I mean, I don't know. More fajitas, probably. Yeah, man. And, and I guess my, I might have to drink some sugar and do margaritas, too. So. Hell yeah. Um, all, all, although I was told that he would have crown black for me, so I wouldn't have to do margaritas. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, uh, a black branch, which, which, so we have on the East Coast, we have an Atlantic branch. On the West Coast, they have Pacific branch. Pacific is, is black branch. Uh, black belly branch, black branch, Pacific branch. There is a silver belly branch, too, so there actually is three species of them. But now the, the black branch, basically um, your, your opportunity to shoot them on the West Coast would be in Alaska at Cold Bay. Um, a limited, like a, a very short 10-day season in the state of Washington in a certain county or two. Uh, but the majority of the black branch migrates in one flight from Cold Bay, Alaska to basically Baja, you know, California. And they're there, you know, they're there to March. And, and the beauty to me, or, or for me, I should say, is that I after my season's over here, I, they're still there. The season's still open in February and March. So all of February and like the first two weeks of March. So it, it would be very easy for me as a, on a timeline to go down and do that. That's super cool. Yeah. You, plus, you know, it's, Me- it's Mexico, mild weather. Um, yeah. Shorts know. and Crocs. Yep. Exactly. Hell yeah. Now, yeah. do you think being a, a, an experienced man of the world like yourself, do you think if someone said, Jeff, here's a gun? Go, go to Mexico and do it. Do you think you could finagle your way to to figure out those birds and how they work because of your experience with these brand that you could DIY it and be extremely successful? Or do you think that they would be different than the brand, you know, Atlantic brand or, you know, what, what do you think that would be like? I think my uh, limitation would be is I'm not fluent in Spanish. I see, see. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that, that would be. I think I think the birds, you know, decoys, and, and I think the birds act would act the same. I think my biggest problem there is that I just don't speak the language. Gotcha. So, so possibly that would be maybe maybe you know maybe get away, could get away with it. It wouldn't be an issue, but that, that would be going into it. I would be worried that I just can't communicate. But I mean, like, can you? Do you think the Brant Atlantic Brant calls the same as the Pacific Brant yeah. call? Yep. Yeah, I think that the calling is the same. They're slightly different in, in coloring, and their in their neck, the neck, the white on their necks is different. But yeah, they're they're. I think they're still basically the same. It's like a Canada goose, maybe, maybe not with a cackler or the very small Canada geese. But once you get get away from those, you know, the rest of the Canada geese, they all honk. Okay. And it's, you know, I think I think it's like that. I, I'll tell you this. So I've been to far east Quebec, Rimouski, Quebec, and like I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak. It, it's not that I couldn't speak French. I couldn't speak French Canadian. It's like a slang of French. So I had somebody was was with me that is from France, and and she told me, I'm not sure what they're saying, Jeff. So like, don't feel bad because she she couldn't necessarily understand because it was more. She described it as being a slang, a French slang. So, but it would be. I think that 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 you know, eastern eastern Quebec, where we were, I think it would be kind of like Mexico, where like like you know. I, I did have trouble communicating with people. At yeah. first, I thought it was. At first, I thought it was because I was I was American, and then you know that there was an issue. And the, I say no. It's like I, I don't speak their language. I could be what I could be whatever nationality. I don't speak 
their language. And that, that was more what it was. Yeah, I understand. I've, we've been, shame on me for not hunting down there, but we've been to like Peru and Belize and some, some places like that. And it, it makes you, it humbles you very quickly when you, you can't speak the language and you do your best. And like, I, I took Spanish and, high school and college and still can't speak that son of a gun, but I can understand enough to be dangerous when you're ordering or, you know, asking for things. But it's like, once they get going and they think, you know, the, how to speak it, you're like, man, I'm out. Like you guys slow down, sir. You know, comprende. None comprende. Zero would be the number. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that would be a bucket list hunt for me would be a Mexican, I mean, they got very liberal limits. They've got species that we don't see. So would you try and, uh, speaking of species, would you t- try and target like cinnamon teal and, and some of the other, you know, species well, that we can't in, get here in, nor- in, well, again, see, this is dummy Uncle Bob. I almost said in North America, but Mexico is in North America. I meant America. Yep, yep. So Tinkatine is flat out salt water. So you're not going to, I think the cinnamon teal is going to be very rare. So it's basically going to be, you know, branch, some sea duck, maybe some some greater bluebill, that kind of thing. But you really got to be on the you know, on the east side of uh, the Baja to to get those like Mazalan and Obregon, where that's that's where you're going to get your your cinnamon teal and your excuse me and your uh, your ruddy ducks that a Drake ruddy duck that looks you know like a rake, uh, like everybody thinks a Drake ruddy duck looks like. So that that's it's more over there. So they, this hunt is pretty much going to be going to be brand that's really cool that's really yeah, cool brand well, on, on salt water with lots of eel grass well i hope you get into them thank you for sure now uh a little known fact me and you share a buddy he is uh we'll, we'll just i don't know we'll just say his name is kevin we don't need to give his last name and i trained his dog clark who's off of uh chesapeake bay retriever Whoa, time out. I thought it was Jack's dog. No. So, well, Jack's dog is Ember, who's the mom, and then Kevin got... No, 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 no. No, no, no. Little Jack. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Good point. Shame on me. Little Uh Jack. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Clark and Little Jack, they sent me a video today of Clark doing a a Buffy retrieve. I don't know where he was, um, but they're from Ocean City, Maryland, and... I'm hoping that that you'd be able to, you know, see him one of these days and give me your your thumbs up that you're proud of him and that he's he's retrieving for little Jack pretty darn well from for it's from what I hear, but I I hope that you know I know that you are so good to those guys and doing youth hunts with Jack and maybe Clark can tag along and get a get a Brant or something like that. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I I called Kevin the other day. We talked. Uh, and basically, I called because because I, you know what, those videos he posted up of Clark. So I, I thought, you know, for like, you know, what is he, ten months old, whatever, whatever, he's young for sure. Like, I said, man, he looks like he's really doing well to me. So that's I, that's why I reached out to Kevin the other day, just because I saw I did see a video that he posted up, and I was I thought he was looking really good. Thank you. Yeah, he's a beast. Yeah. He's like probably eighty five pounds, man. He is a tank. Yeah, and acts like good. he's eight weeks old. Good looking dog. Yeah, very good looking, but definitely 
maybe not eight weeks. I'll give him at 10 months old. He still acts like he's five months old, like big, goofy, everybody's buddy, doesn't know that he weighs 80 pounds and leans into you and knocks you over, like just a happy dog. And uh, Mark and Machine, steady-ish. I'm going to give him the, you know, any... Go ahead. Kevin's been running. Kevin's been running out out of a dog line. He's like he's he's really happy with that. Good. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think Kevin's really happy. I'm glad. Yeah, I, I'm pumped for him because, well, Kevin's a dog man through and through. Like his, I won't even say much, but through his work, he he works with yeah. with dogs uh, a lot, and so he appreciates dogs and knows dogs, but had never trained his own hunting dog and and him and his boy who's maybe what what do you think jeff 14 13 i was gonna say yeah 12 13 yep yeah they loved a duck hunt and that's he's raised his son to appreciate the outdoors and and jeff's been kind enough to take them kind of under his wing and do a lot of hunts with them and so this dog is their first duck dog together as father and son and and so i'm excited for for clark and and all of them Yep. Really yeah, cool man. I, again, like I said, the other, the other day I called Kevin just to say, like, the, the one of the videos he posted up, I was like, man, like, Clark's really doing well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I think, Jeff. I think you're, I think you're going to get him back so you can you can have him run a, a blind retreat. Ooh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, talk dirty to me. I'll train that Clark yep. any day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, 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 don't, I, I can't assure you with that, but I, I think that's the plan. I think, you know... Everybody talks about, you know, a hunting dog and how, and not that Kevin did this, so we're we're leaving Kevin behind on this part, but, you know, everybody who sends a dog to me wants a basic gun dog, right? The, the quintessential, I don't need any ribbons, I just want a dog that can hunt, right? So you kind of gently explain to them that, like, yeah, well, it's the same process, we still teach them these things, and da-da-da-da-da. So whether you want it to get ribbons or not, at the end of my program, it'll be able to go and pass a junior test, no problem. Then they see, they come and train, and they're like, dang, look at that dog go. It can stop on a whistle and go where you tell it. And, oh, my goodness, it's sitting watching another dog work. And it opens their eyes to what the dog that they originally, you know, basically just wanted to go and hunt with is like, boy, wouldn't that be nice uh, this season, and then they hunt that dog, and like this experience, I could have used a blind retrieve. This experience, I could have used a blind retrieve. I could have blown one whistle and gone this way, and and boom, it's on it. Like it just opens you and your dog to a whole new world when you can just blow a whistle and, and help them get downwind a little further, and and bang, they're on it. So yeah, it would be neat to to work with Clark to do that. But I think in essence. You don't have to be a master hunter, but if your dog can stop on a whistle and change direction, it's going to help you hunt so much more. I, I agree. And uh, to bring up a, a, uh, another Rex, Rex Bell-type name, Richard Barnes, way back in the day, mm-hmm. he told me the, the reason he wants a dog, he wants, he, wants to go, he wants the dog to pick the birds up that he can't pick up. The ones that are close, he can walk out and pick those things up. He, I want the, I want a dog to pick up the birds that dog didn't see or knew, nobody saw or it fell out as it, after it went out. It wasn't really a mark after they flew out. Like the, the goose fell out 250, 300 yards out in the field. 
Right. I want a dog to go pick that bird up, not not the ones I can see and easily pick up myself. I want the ones that I, I, I not that I can't walk out there, but I don't want to walk out there. I want a dog to go pick that up for me. That's right. That's a that, great that, that's point. That's what he always says. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, now I'll, uh, I'll kind of lean into, uh, speaking of that, you know, over the years, I'm sure you've hunted with some really exceptional dogs and some really okay dogs. And then some dogs you wouldn't, you know, feed the last piece of your mediocre brisket to, um, tell, let's give one maybe piece of advice for someone who's been in the game for years piece of advice that you would give them for taking their dog out and, and what it should be ready for? Well, how about what it's not ready for is, and I have this all the time where everybody wants to tell me, and again, I, I'm proud of my dogs. I, I'm, I'm not, when I say this, I'm not disrespecting them or their dogs, but everybody wants to tell me how, you know, how, how well their dogs train, how good their dog is, you know, on and on and on. If their dog has never jumped into the ocean, it, 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 it would be like, and this is what I tell people. It's like Coot, Coot and well, Diamond was a different. She was she did do she did do field hunting well. Coot was not a field dog. She would sit on the boat and never you wouldn't know she's there. She didn't break. She was the perfect boat dog. You put her in a goose field, she became a freaking idiot. And like I remember having meltdowns with her that you know we're filming and like she's just she's you know she's out of control. So I guess it's more of my what am I trying to say? Yeah. Your dog is trained very well, but if you're going to, if you're taking your dog to it to do an experience that it's never done before, you know, it's like back to square one with the dog. How, how can you expect the dog to do well? Um, you know, when and it's something it hasn't done. There was there was a dog. I had a dog way back in the day. It was a 17 TDB. It was a FC AFC dog that they couldn't get the, the the birds would drop outside the decoys. They couldn't get the dog to go through the decoys to pick the bird up, which wasn't that much further outside the decoys. And then when it, then it started to get a little nervous and it figured it should retrieve something and it started to bring decoys back. Right. And the person that had owned this dog, he had a meltdown. And it, and this dog was a, a super, it was an FC AFC dog. So there's, there's no, there's no, no doubt that it was a, a super marking blind running retrieving machine. But this thing couldn't retrieve a bird that was forty yards away. And when it and when it started to get a little didn't have a collar on, but he could I, to me the dog was getting nervous. Mm-hmm. All the whistles, all the whistles, all the whistles, they better bring something back. And it picked up a decoy to bring a sea duck decoy to bring it back. And then basically the owner like just that was the end of his hunt, man. He he just he had it. So again, I'm rambling, but I would tell you, tell anybody just just really take in consideration, even though your dog is, is highly trained. If it hasn't been trained for the situ, you know, the type, the scenario, the hunt that you're going to do, you know, just you know, maybe work on that and or give the dog a little bit of a pass that it might, it may not do what you think it's going to do, or what you want it to do. That's right. I think that's an awesome point, and I think I run into that a lot as a trainer, and I hope that this comes off the right way, but I, I do a really good job with the dogs. Right, I I put a lot of time, energy, emotion, uh, daylight till dark, and then guess what? When we're when we hang up on this phone, you know, and it's nine thirty at night or whatever, I have to go back to work and let dogs out and care for them. So I care about these dogs wholeheartedly, and then I care about their owners just as much. So and we do a good job. 
but I know that a the owners aren't going to do as well as I do. They're just they, unless they really, 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 really practice, they're still going to you know struggle or miss an opportunity to catch the dog before it gets into trouble or whatever. And and they set them people set themselves up for failure. And I think exactly. that's what you're leaning towards is like, yep. you know, how do you expect it to, you know, in its first hunt or first, thir- you know, it's, this is his third hunt and we're going layout goose hunting and we're watching geese backpedal into the decoys and let them land, let them land. And then get, you know, your, your 10 month old puppy who just learned how to be steady a month ago or two months ago, how do you expect them not to come unglued? when a hundred geese are backpedaling in their face and you know, you and your buddies are opening up out of a coffin in the ground blasting or, you know, name it, name other, you know, any experience that they're going to learn hunting the first few times they do it, we got to give them a little grace, a little bit of patience, hold them to a high standard, but teach them and show them. And then I also, you know, try and explain to people like, don't let it ruin your hunt. And it, I've, I'll be the first one to admit, and Kevin just looked at me like, I've hold my dogs to an extremely high standard, and I expect a lot out of them, and when they don't do well, I take it personally, and therefore I can be a dick or frustrated and be quiet for 10 minutes like, he shouldn't have broke, or you know he shouldn't be whimpering over there because we haven't shot in three hours, and he's bored and cold. Um, you know, so I'll, I'm not... In, or I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, and and I let some of these things happen to me too. But just try and uh, in the back of your head, remember this. You know, just be patient. Help the dog be successful, and then realize that their entire life, like our entire life, we're learning and growing and getting better. But but yeah, I can't believe. You know, I still kind of can't believe an FC couldn't mark past the decoys. I mean, that bl- blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was just not, it wasn't a good experience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I'm sure he was livid, mm-hmm. embarrassed, livid. I mean, we've all probably been there. If you've hunted dogs long enough and you're, quote, unquote, showing off for your buddies at how good your dog is and they shit the bed on you, it's frustrating. Agreed and agreed. Yeah. Well, wow, good advice. I appreciate that. All right, everybody, we're gonna uh, we're gonna kind of start wrapping this up. So, what I would like to reiterate is, if you would like a world class, unbelievable sea duck hunt in Ocean City, Maryland, shooting scoters with Captain Jeff Coates, the famous, infamous is it is infamous good or bad? I don't know, man. I, I just say I'm just a guy. Is what he usually says. Yeah, well. I, I've hunted with you, and I'm going to say you're you're famous slash infamous. I'm just a guy. Yeah. Well, we're all just guys. Some guys are just better at what they do than others. And so if you'd like to hunt with Jeff and you don't want to jump in on our Patreon, you can't wait, you don't want it to be up to a lottery system, check him out on Instagram. It's at pitboss. Is it pitboss waterfowl? At pitboss, P-I-T-B-O-S-S, waterfowl. That's right. Check him out. Um... I would imagine you're kind of booking up for next year, 2021, 2022, correct? Yeah, actually, we're, Karen and I were talking tonight. I counted up today. I'm, I'm 32 days of the 60 for next year. Okay, so if you're interested and you don't want to try and book with us, then you need to get with him ASAP and book you a hunt. 
If you would like to join our Patreon and be in the running to join Kevin and I and Jeff on a bad-to-the-bone scoter hunt, then do that. Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. No matter what tier you are in on our Patreon, you are entered to win. And uh, it's going to be all expense paid. So we're going to pay your plane ticket we're gonna, or you know, your gas to drive there if you end up winning and you're two hours away. You know, we're gonna we're gonna wine and dine you and have a great time, drink some bush lights, you know, little crabs to go, baby. I don't know. Maybe a little crown black. Little, little crown black at Pit Boss HQ. So I'm I'm super excited, Jeff, that I you am, I'm excited. Yeah, it, this is gonna be a reunion tour. It's gonna be a blast. And so so join the Patreon, get in on this hunt. If you wanna just check out Jeff. Pit Boss Waterfowl on Instagram. Where else can they find you, Jeff? Uh, pitbosswaterfowl.com. And if, if you just if you Google Jeff Coates, C-O-A-T-S, pretty much all my stuff pops up. That's right. That's right. Bearded guy wearing flip-flops in wintertime. That's him. An old guy. Nah, you're only as old as you feel, brother. There you go. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I I always have fun chatting with you, and I'm super, super, super excited for next December. Thank you again for coming on our show, and we'll be in touch, brother. Kevin and Bob, thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link. Join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it. Enjoy it. We did it for you, and you're helping us produce a show. So thank you so much to that community. Get in, get out, let's roll. Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.